Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is none other than Clay Scroggins. He is the author of the new book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. Uh, we are going to talk all about uh, about leadership, but not just like leadership of a, of a big organization, how to lead yourself in a very tumultuous, changing time. So again, this is Clay Scroggins' new book, How to, how to Be a Leader of Yourself, but also uh, I mean, how to be a leader of other people, but also how to be a leader of yourself. Very excited to bring that to you. Uh, folks, we got a lot of changes coming up, a lot of new projects that we're working on. So stay tuned to hear more about some of the stuff that we're coming out with. We are very excited to be sharing that with you. Uh, but here we go. Without further ado, my interview with Clay Scroggins. Clay Scroggins, uh, friend of the show. We've had you on before, but most importantly, author of The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here, Gib, and uh, thanks for having me back. Hey, um, j- this is this is a, a cold open. What's your <laughs> What's your thought on the title, "The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future"? Is it too much? You think it's too bold? No, I actually really love it. So, so for, I like it for two reasons. One is, and I uh, it 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 underscores something that I often say, which is even if you're not in a position of leading a group of people right now. The ideals and ideas of leadership still apply to you. So you can apply it to your own life. And the more you apply it to your own life, the more other people will want to follow you. And the more you apply leadership or, or the more you aspire to leadership, you know, the more eventually you, you have to start the behaviors now that will get people under you. And then, yeah. and then the future right now being as tumultuous and surprising and unpredictable as it is, yes. putting some predictability into that or how to navigate the unpredictability I, I, I like. So it, it, it checks two boxes in my mind for leadership. Okay. Well, I mean, that's honestly, that is really encouraging. That's good to hear because, um, yeah, that's what drove me to start investigating the topic and then eventually write it all out was the, 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 just how much the future is changing. Right. It is. It it just feels like we have fast forwarded into the future. Yeah. I mean, Uh, certain certain things have gone away that we weren't, uh, that we weren't ready for them to go away yet, but it's it's just happened much more quickly, or things that we thought were going to take ten years happened yes. in six months. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. I mean, it's I mean just just the um, you know I mean one small little example, but you know back in March of 2020 when the pandemic really hit, I mean for me it was that basketball game when they walk off the court. I mean that is a memory that I will never forget where I was when I saw that happening. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And then, you know, fast forward a week later and we're all working from home. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do a lot of working from home anyway, but I mean, I just couldn't believe how quickly we accepted. And, And then now here we are, you know, a little while past it and not, not past the pandemic necessarily, but I guess accustomed to that style. And even now, I mean, just the, acceptance of are we going to do this meeting virtually or are we going to do this meeting in person mm-hmm. i mean it's just so there's there's a lot of wonderful parts to it and there's a lot of hard parts to it but it it, it has we have i mean we are basically the jetsons now we are <laughs> we're right. flying around in our cars now right i mean, and look i i think there is something you know i think there's something better about about the amount of people you can meet with uh, virtually, but I also think sure. we're I've really missed in person stuff and being uh, yeah. with people and you know uh, the side conversations that occur. Uh, is that is it? You mentioned a basketball game. What what basketball game are you talking about? Is that is it the NBA game where somebody tested positive? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it was the NBA game 
where it, I think it was on ESPN that night or something. And yes, I think someone had tested positive. It was either before the game, right before the game, I think, or maybe at halftime. But mm. the, the, I just remember the players warming up, getting ready to play. And then the, the person coming over the loudspeaker, you know, hey, we're the game. The game tonight has been canceled. Mm. Um, I don't know. That was just the that was the moment to right. me where I was like, oh, gosh, this thing's this is real. Mm hmm. Uh, so, so is that the moment, is that sort of, uh, unpredictability is what led you to, to rethink or to want to, to navigate this for, for aspiring leaders? Is that what led you to this book? Yeah. Um, I mean, the way it honestly happened, I think is I was trying to talk about some counterintuitive principles of leadership. Okay. Like you think it's this way, but it's really this way. Mm. And mm. So I made a list of them. I started working through them, and then I just started bouncing it around. I'm, I'm in a, I, w- I would imagine you and I are similar in this way. I love to. Um, uh, I do not form my ideas in my head. I form them out in the open with my words. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's one of the ways. I, that's one of the things I like about, uh, or, or one of the ways I like describing being extroverted. Sure. Is you know some people they're you know the introverts of the world are so much smarter and more thoughtful and deliberate and diligent because they're like I'm going to form it I'm going to get it just right before I bring it out <laughs> and you know people like you and I were like why would you do that just put it all out there and let's build it out here out in the open in front of everyone and so I I'm, I'm chewing it you know I'm chewing on it but I'm talking to people about it and yeah, just the concept of the way the future is changing and how different the world is going it is already and is going to be right. in the next five, 10 years. Uh, and I started thinking about these counterintuitive principles of leadership through that lens, thinking, you know what, this is really about how leadership is changing. Sure, It's really about how, I mean, I think about some of the old kind of tropes of leadership, but I don't know that we're, they were ever good, but you know, the don't let them see you sweat, you know, dress for success. I remember, um, I remember when I was in college, I was interviewing at Accenture, big, uh, you know, business strategy consulting firm. And I remember they would tell you things like, hey, make sure your car's clean unless they see your if they see that your car's dirty, they're going to think that you can't keep your life straight. Don't salt your food before you the, 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 before you've tasted it or they're going to think you make rash decisions. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, just some of these things that we were like, is that how we're grading leaders? Um, so I, I just started thinking through some of those and, um, started just building a list and building some ways that leadership really is changing. And then the more I got into it, the more I just really enjoyed it. I think that's, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is when you think about the future of leadership, are you excited or are you worried? What's your natural disposition toward it? Well, my, my natural disposition towards the future is, is, worry uh to be mm-hmm. honest my mm-hmm. but for leadership you know i i i i i'm i'm inspired by some new a, a new that we will have a new generation of leaders that don't hold to some of the older stigmas that you're talking about mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. dressing for success and there and there's there's good and bad to what you're talking about right yeah, this sure. idea of of wanting to present yourself well like there's nothing wrong with that and no, no, and no. being the kind of person that does that is fine but to say that that's where it begins and ends is where you're really missing out. Like <laughs> yeah. a clean car is great, but there's yeah. plenty of creative, crazy, smart, motivating individuals yes. 
whose cars have you know nine unread books in the passenger seat and <laughs> and, and seven Taco Bell wrappers in right, the back seat. Right. So it's I wouldn't say it's a condition of leadership, but yes, a clean car is good, but a messy car is not necessarily bad. And that's like that's where I think we're we're sort of hammering away at some old ideals. Uh, like uh, like presenting your life well is not as good as important as actually living your life well, and oh, I think that's, that's really what yeah. we're what we're moving towards. And so I'm inspired by that. I think we're going to see a generation of leaders who really aspire to live their lives well and and yeah. not just present well and maybe present themselves a little bit messier. So you see mm-hmm. how difficult and how much they think. I mean, you, you see that in some of today's business leaders, you know, you see that in already. Yeah. yeah. You see that in Elon Musk, for example, and I'm not going to make mm-hmm. a qualitative assessment of the guy, except to say that he's obviously very successful, but he also lives out mistakes in very, in real time with his yeah. Twitter account. So, yeah, you know, I think that's going to be part of the future is a little bit more transparency. And I think, I think that may be better. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Can I share a quick story that I learned in the research of this? Um, one of the leaders that I spoke with that I really respect a lot is Angela Arantz. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the CEO of Burberry and then she, uh, left that job, which was a really interesting move that she made. I mean, she had a pretty significant turnaround. I don't, uh, uh, I don't actually wear Burberry, but wow. I respect the brand. <laughs> um, but she, it was a pretty, pretty significant turnaround that she made there. And after I think she was there seven or eight years, uh, Tim Cook at Apple called her and said, would you come be on our executive team? And uh, I want to say at the time they didn't have any females on their executive team. Mm. So she was going to be the only female walking into a pretty intimidating boardroom there Mm -hmm. uh, of C-level executives at Apple. Anyway, so she's uh, when her role there, she was over all their retail. I I don't know. You know, who knows how many employees, 50,000, 70,000 employees, something like that. And she said, my first role was first task was to uh, I wanted to really try to bring some unity to this group of people that were working all over the world. And so I would send out this video every Monday morning. She called it three points in three minutes. And it was just real quick. Here's three things that are on my mind, three things I'm learning, three things I'm thinking through, whatever it may be. She said one of the first ones that she shot, you know, the little video crews in her office shooting it and her daughter calls while they're recording it. And she said, hey, just keep it rolling. Hang on one second. She answers the phone. Her daughter's a, she said her daughter at the time was a college student in London. And she answered it. She said, hey, girl, I got to call you back. I'm shooting this video. So sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to call you right back. And then hangs up the phone. And then she tells the camera people, hey, let's keep that in there. And right. finishes the video. So then she sends it out just like that. You know, kind of that uh, authentic over perfect value, mm-hmm. I would say. And she said she just was stunned the next day of how, I mean, she told me she got hundreds of responses from Apple employees that said, thank you so much for showing us that you're a real person yeah, and that you're yeah. balancing what we're all trying to balance, which right. is how can I be a great mom or a great dad, great husband, wife, whatever, and do my job really well all at the same time. So I think that's an example of what you're talking about. That that, that I think that's a refreshing, exciting um a progressive way of leadership, I would sure. say. Sure, sure, and it, and again, it goes against a certain uh, a certain older uh, a certain older ethos. You, you mentioned earlier some, these contradicting ideas yeah. that that you wanted to explore. Can you give us some examples of? I mean, is, I, I understand this is probably one of them, the idea of transparency. But what are some other uh, contradicting ideas that, yeah. that led you to to want to write this? 
Well, I, I, I have nine of them. The subtitle of the book is nine surprising ways leadership is changing. Yep. So I'll just, let me just briefly say each one of them and sure. then you, you double click on any one of them that you <laughs> want to add color commentary to. Okay. Um, but the, the first one is that you got to know it all before you can start leading. Mm. And obviously that's not true. The second one that um, even the, even the goats, the greatest of all time have coaches, just mm -hmm. the, 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 the need to have somebody who's further down the road than you to be able to help you see the things you can't see. Um, the third one, the idea that leaders never fail, uh, instead learning how to rebound from mistakes is going to be a real key in the future. Uh, the fourth one being aware of your weaknesses, which I think we all know that be aware of your weaknesses, but the second half of it is, but of it is be more intimate with your strengths. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you shouldn't just know your weaknesses, but you really need to be even more aware of what your superpower is and how can you bring that to the world? Uh, the fifth one, you know, that Jim Collins statement that he makes, get the right people on the bus. I really had fun with that, turning that upside down and inside out uh, and talking about some of the people that you don't think are the right people are actually the people that are the most right that you really need. So right. it's all about just who are you going to have around the table with you in the future uh, or, or who are you going to have on the bus with you in the future? Um, the sixth one, you have to give trust to be trusted Oh, good. instead of earning trust. Uh, trust is something that uh, the only way you can find out if it, it, that that the person can be trusted is to trust them. And that's going to be even more important as we look in the future. Uh, the seventh one is about conflict. You know, there was a day where you, you didn't talk about hard topics at work. Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't talk about religion and gender and sexuality at work. Well, you can't work in this day and age without talking about some of the more complicated, complex mm -hmm. social issues. I mean, racial reconciliation mm -hmm. is a, such a prominent conversation in the workplace so I talk about conflict and how we've got to become even better at conflict than we've ever been before. It never gets easy. It never goes away and it never feels great, but it doesn't mean that we can run from it. We've got to become better at it. Um, and the eighth one is the one about vulnerability that we were just talking about, that the strongest leaders will ultimately lead with vulnerability. And the ninth one is all about success, that if you want to be a great leader in the future, you can't see success as a scarce commodity, but you have to see it with an abundant mentality that it really... Um, cheering for other people has got to be the way of the future. Mm. Right, so I want to come back to the idea of an abundant mentality uh, in a second here. But what I, what I heard in there and a lot of those things is uh, you know, it's a, it's a common refrain from startups, which is, you know, you want to hire your weaknesses first. And I think mm -hmm. most of us are, are generally attracted to people like us. So we're going to want, a leadership team of, you know, uh, of people that we want to hang out with, that we want to spend time with. And that's may or may not be the best move uh, for trying to build, you know, trying to, to create a vision that you have. What you want are people that, that are actually approaching problems differently from you so that you can fill in your blind spots. Because if I hired a bunch of dudes that I, I like, that I, that I hang out with um, in my spare time to work with me on a project, chances are, we're going to have the exact same weaknesses and the right. exact same blind spots. And That's we're right. because we like each other, we, we have like we're, mm -hmm. we're similar personalities. The reality is I need to have that person that I hire that that or that I partner with who is um, who I kind of don't love hanging out with or I like hanging That's out with right. them, but they're not my favorite person because they're yeah. different than me. And they feel it mm -hmm. fit in those because in order to do that, you got to know what your weaknesses are in order to see that in other people. Yeah. 
Well, I, I talk about that concept in both that chapter about strength and weaknesses, but also the one about the getting the right people in the right, bus. I right. think I think we are all predisposed to your point. We're all predisposed to assess greater potential to people that look like us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Or people that have similar backgrounds to yeah. us, because I think it's a subtle form of stroking our own ego. I think it, no it's 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 this subconscious way of making me feel better about myself by by giving more or attributing more potential to people that look like me, have the same background and me, came from the same place, graduated from the same college, whatever it may right, be. Right. And you're right. It, the, the people that will make us the right kind of leader are often the people that don't seem as right, that maybe are challenging mm-hmm. or maybe they do have a lot of drive or a lot of it, or they're kind of prickly or they're kind of thorny. And it's not to say that we don't help them iron those out or sharpen those or soften those edges. Sure. But I think we can't, we have to be willing and, and even more so in the future, as, the, as our world becomes more and more diverse, we have to be willing to partner up with uh, people that bring different ideas to the table than the ones that we have. How, how do you begin to embrace and, 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 and can, do you have any advice for how to cultivate that sort of self-awareness? So that, because I think this all starts with self-awareness, right? It we does. Have, uh, and, and so if you're going to want those prickly people, you have to be self-aware enough to acknowledge and, and humble enough to acknowledge that one this is my weakness to this person is able, even though I don't enjoy them a hundred percent is able to fill in some of those gaps. Do you have any advice for how to begin that journey of self-awareness? Well, uh, that the idea that self-awareness is where you begin, I think is so important. I think self-awareness is the foundation of every virtue. Um, it's hard to be virtuous at any level without being aware of what I'm feeling inside, what I'm dealing with inside. So yeah, I would start by uh, figuring out what is inside. You know, it's 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 owning your own origin story. It's really knowing your own story, knowing where you're from and why you are the way you are, why you have the lens that you see through. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there's a I think it's in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but Stephen Covey does this whole section around the way we see the world and we don't see the world as the world is we see the world as we are or as we're conditioned to see it is Mm. what he writes which i think is really brilliant that we're all walking around with these lenses on and we think that we're seeing what we're seeing because it's the way it is but we're really seeing what we're seeing because of where we're from and what year we were born in and the family we grew up in and the experiences that we've had so i think you start by investigating all of that and becoming even more aware of uh, your own background. Now, obviously, you can do that and become really self self obsessed. But self awareness is not about self obsession. Self awareness is about learning more about me so that I can love somebody else better, so that I can mm-hmm. relate to someone else better. So I, that's I think that's the best place to start is to identify your own and then to also believe. I think you have to fundamentally believe that I am not enough. Right. And I, th- I think a right. lot of times we think. I mean, I know when I first got married. I just thought all my ideas were right. I mean, I thought you, I mean, like take getting to the airport, you know, I mean, yeah. I just, I like getting to the airport when the door, when they're closing the plane and that door hits me on the back. That's the way, I mean, I'm like, oh, perfect. I nailed it. Mm-hmm. And my wife is so different. She's, she wants to get there like two hours ahead of time. She wants the plane that is, <laughs> that is leaving our gate before our plane. She wants that plane to still be there when we get to the gate. And she wants to do a lap around the track and, you know, get something to drink and sit down a minute and go use the restroom. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that it just drives me. It, at first, it drives me crazy. But what I started to realize is, 
oh, I'm, I, sh- I need to quit trying to get her to see why my way is right. And I need to realize that the way she sees is actually beautiful. Mm. And there's something really valuable about that. And instead of seeing it as this burden to see it as a gift that I get the opportunity to see life through someone else's eyes. I think, I think understanding that you're not enough, understanding that you don't have it all, that you can't figure it out on your own. I think it begins there. And then hopefully that would lead you to go, Oh, okay. So I really need to see the way these other people see. Um, I I love that. I mean, uh, I think that's, uh... I mean, I think that level of empathy, that level of, again, self-awareness and humility is what it is, uh, is something that we, we all need. We could all use a, a dose of because you need to be humble enough to say, hey, uh, I have my opinions, but they may not be it may not be the best way uh, or mm-hmm. acknowledging that even if your way works, it may not be the best way for everybody to move forward. Because at a certain point, you know, you have a family now. It's not enough for just you to get to the airport. I know when I'm traveling alone versus with my family, it's a very different oh, experience. Gosh, right? It's so much easier. Right. Yeah, so, uh, so I right. want to go to the airport like you. I'm going to find the quickest way, the quickest line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the priority is for me to spend as little amount of wasted time as possible. Mm-hmm. But right. when I'm traveling with the family, very different priority set structure. And yeah. it's important to acknowledge those differences. But if I just have my own worldview, I'm never going to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to get to the place. We're going to take mm-hmm. a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk uh, more about cultivating that kind of empathy and self-awareness, but also uh, your comment about about learning how to fail and and vulnerability. So uh, sure. some more of that with Clay. Spurman. I'm not going anywhere, Gib. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> when we come back, Clay. Before we were talking about you know hiring our uh, hiring our weaknesses, being self-aware of our where we need uh, where we need to be filled in, and how uh, you know other people may have opinions that differ from ours, but maybe either just as good or better or equally important or more important than how we how we see it. Um, but with that comes the idea that we are going to, that that's going to create friction and we're going to fail. Uh, and I think a lot of people are living their lives afraid of failure. I know that with the unpredictability of the future, we need to understand how to fail. And this is a, a very popular startup uh, concept, but fail fast. So how do you begin yeah. to embrace the idea of failure, be unafraid of it, and then uh, and then bounce back from it? I think, I think you have to identify the fear. I, um, in this, in the book, I draw, I draw out this fear hierarchy or a feararchy, if you will. And I would assume you would, um, the idea I'm really stealing Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, he mm. starts down at the bottom with, you know, what's down there, like food, shelter, clothing, you know, some of those basic needs. Right. And then it moves up to, you know, the, I need relationship. Yeah. yeah. It moves all the way to the top to self-actualization in between there's relationship. Um, you also need autonomy, you know, the, 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 the freedom to be able to move about and live your life the way you want to live it. And mm-hmm. we're clearly at that self-actualization level in our, at least in the Western world, we've, so many people have reached that. I, I think that part of the great resignation is about the fact that people have been sitting around going, I mean, I like my job, but is it fulfilling? You mm-hmm. know? And I think in the fifties and the sixties, I don't think anybody was asking that. I think they no. were like, does it support my life? Well, then I'm going to keep doing it. You know, right. it's a very different question. But uh, I think there's I think we can attach fears to every one of those levels on that hierarchy. You know, the, the fear of at the bottom of food, shelter, clothing, the bottom level fear to me is death. You know, it's I don't want to die. And that's a pretty realistic fear. I mean, you ask someone 
you know, why don't you like flying? It's like, well, because the plane might crash and I might mm-hmm. die. And you're like, oh, that's a good point. You know, <laughs> um, just above that is safety. You know, right. safety's even, I think it's why people don't like heights. You know, I like being sure. safe. Um, ab- above that, you would have the loss of relationship, which is really the fear of loneliness, the fear of rejection, the fear of being by myself. The, uh, you think about autonomy, so many people that are afraid of uh, the I, you know, being stuck. Uh, it's why some people don't like to go sit in a movie theater in the middle of the road. It's why some people feel like they need to drive their car whenever they're going to meet friends somewhere. They can't ride mm-hmm. with everybody else. They got to take their own vehicle because they don't want to be stuck. Right. But at the very top, I think is where we really understand how to get over the fear of risk. Mm. Uh, that that idea of self actualization. I think the the uh, the correlating fear is humility. Right. Uh, excuse me. Is humiliation. Yes. It's it's being embarrassed. What what is that Seinfeld joke that he does? Uh, the two greatest fears. Fears are public speaking and death. Which, but public speaking is ahead of time, which means uh, yeah. if you had to go to a funeral, you'd be you want to be in the casket uh, instead of giving the eulogy. Rather than doing the eulogy. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty brilliant. I mean, yeah. I think what he's saying there is, I would rather be dead than be humiliated. I would rather be dead than, than risk be humiliation. And risk humiliation. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think understanding that, digging into that um, has helped me to go, okay, you know, it's that simple concept that counselors do. Well, let's get under that. Let's get underneath it. Let's play it out. I mean, I did this with our six-year-old the other day. He was going to a birthday party and there's a kid in his class that he thinks is pretty mean and he was worried the kid was going to be at the birthday party. And I was like, well, let's let's play out the fear. Like, what's going to happen, you know? And eventually, like, he realizes, well, nothing's really going to happen other than maybe some humiliation. But mm-hmm. I think understanding that putting words around fear unlocks the fear. I think it allows the, the the cage that the fear is kept in to be opened up and it allows it to get out and for us to find some freedom from it. But if we're, if we're going to be the kind of leader, the future demands, mm. we're going to have to be willing to risk. We're going to have to be willing to try something that makes me feel uncomfortable because the very essence of the future is uncertain. Right. And if we don't, if we're not comfortable, if we don't grow more comfortable with uncertainty, we'll never be able to lead in the future. Uh, and it's only going to become more that way as more information is out there, more progress, more technology. Uh, we have to be willing to try something that we might not feel comfortable in trying. And the only way to do that is to get over that fear of humiliation, that fear of, well, what would happen if I fail? Um, and that's scary. It's clearly scary, but I think it's possible. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, and this goes back to the vulnerability element too, right? So if you mean, and uh, just to, to, to loop back real fast, I mean, these principles work even if you're not a leader of multiple people at this point. And that's, we t- sort of alluded to that at the beginning, but these yeah. are good principles for how to direct the ship of your own life, not just a crew of people that, you know, that you may have organizational leadership over, but just how to lead your own life. So I think, you know, these principles are, um, are apt. And I think this idea that you have to embrace this feeling of vulnerability. So many of us want to seem perfect. I think online interactions add to that where, you yes. know, this, this curated cultivated, yeah. um, show the best, hide the rest. Right. Right. And I yeah. think what that leads, and I, I've seen this in, you know, in some of the younger people or other leaders I've talked to, who are leading teams of younger people and they get frustrated because they, the, uh, some of the younger people won't step out. They won't try mm. new things or, or push the envelope of what they've been asked to do because the punishment 
for hmm. looking wrong online has been so great for so long that th those people really, really stay in their lane and it's going to hurt their leadership potential in the future. And I think we have to sort of unlearn what online interactions have taught us. Mm, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And again, to your point that you made early on, there's so much positive from the online interaction. I mean, I think during the, you know, particularly during sure. the shelter in place lockdown part of the pandemic, mm -hmm. I mean, we, it was essential. We had to have it. I mean, it was such a, it was the only way we could stay in touch with people. Sure. So sure. I think from that standpoint, there's so many positives to it, but you're right. It, we weren't meant to live solely that way. Mm -hmm. And it also comes with some issues that we have to pay attention to. And one of them is this curated, perfect kind of life that I feel like I've got to live because it's what I'm seeing. And I know my own mess, but I'm seeing everybody's best and it just it, right. uh, creates a gap. Right. And then it be, makes you want to only present your best and then you it yeah. creates this sort of dueling bad standard. I had a, um, we had a counselor, this marriage counselor, my wife and I met with. This is, I'll talk about this in the, this section on being willing to fail, being, you know, helping yourself learn how to do mm -hmm. it at, at, at small levels, um, in easy ways and ways that may be a lower risk. Right. We met with this marriage. My, my wife's more of a perfectionist than I am. I'm a little more, um, uh, willing to take risks. And so we're meeting this marriage counselor years ago and he tells us, uh, he, he kind of identifies that in her. He was like, so it sounds like you feel this pretty strong need to be perfect. And she was like, you know, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have some people over. I want you to have some lasagna in the oven. I want you to forget about the lasagna <laughs> and just burn it. I mean, scorch it. Open up the oven, get a towel, wave out the smoke, tell everybody, oh, no, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to order pizza. Mm -hmm. And then order the pizza, sit down and have dinner and see how it goes. <laughs> and she's like looking at him like, you're freaking crazy, man. There's no way I'm ever doing that. <laughs> but he's, he's, I mean, his, his point was, and he was kind of being tongue in cheek, but his point was really valid that the way you learn how to do that is by doing it. Unfortunately, it's by realizing, oh, I failed and I'm okay. I mean, I, they, you know, I thought if I burn the lasagna, these people are going to leave and be like, oh my gosh, of course you would. We're out of here. You mm -hmm. people are awful. But of course <laughs> they're not going to do that. You know, it's probably right. going to endear them. I think that's the thing that we don't even realize is right. that our failure, right. when we're vulnerable right. about it and lead with it, it endears people to us. Sure. I mean, it is remarkable how powerful that is, but we got to learn how to be willing to do it. Yeah. I, and I think, wow. I mean, that is, that is a, a pearl of wisdom there, and we need to find ways to practice practice that failure, uh, with, like you said, in, in low-stakes ways. That's that's a great takeaway. I think, Clay, this is as good a place to, as any for us to, to begin to wrap this up. Uh, can I, the book... Yeah, can I give you one line? Sorry, before you oh, end Oh, please it, do. I, I thought of this one line that I just love. I, I, I can't remember where I read this or where I heard this, but I heard someone say experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, what a brilliant way to say it. But there, but it, but there is something so powerful to it that if you, even in the failure, you didn't get what you wanted, but you did get experience. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's, that's a, super important as we look toward the future. I've heard that's a big problem that like Ivy league schools are having with their, with their student body is that they have brought people in who are perfect on paper wow. and who have not ever failed and they get one bad grade or they have, they take, they, life's over. 
Yeah, and they don't know how to handle that and how to and how to deal with that going forward. And it's um, it's you know, and these are ostensibly the next generation of leaders. Like these are the people that are really going to take the reins of of everything, and uh, and they they can't handle that those kinds of setbacks. So um, yeah, it's well. We have an opportunity, which I think is really exciting, to be a different kind of leader. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate you letting me have this conversation. You were you were trying to wrap it up, and I jumped back in. No, it's fine. It. No, it's great. We, we still have two <laughs> questions left. The book is The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, the subtitle Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. Link to where you guys can pick that up in the show notes. Clay, two last things before I let you go. Uh, yeah. First, aside from buying the book, where can people follow up with you? Uh, ClayScroggins.com. Would be great. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, social media, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, a little <laughs> bit of TikTok. jeez, oh, um, I'm out there. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'll put a link to the website in the show notes and you can find Clay on social media that way. Uh, well, last but not least, what is one thing that we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? I think hanging, I, I think deciding who you want to, what kind of leader you want to become in the future and hang it up on the wall, mm. put it up there, M make it a goal, make it a bullseye. Um, you know, one simple way to do it is to write out your eulogy. We talked Ooh. about Seinfeld's joke about the eulogies, Ooh. but I think if you write out, what do you want people to say about you then? I think it will help, it'll help guide the kind of leader you want to become. That, that Gretzky quote, you know, skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we've got to do when it comes to the kind of person we're becoming. And I, and I really, um, I associate the kind of person you're becoming with the kind of leader you're becoming because the, the best leaders are the best people. I mean, the, the more you grow as a person, the more you're going to grow as a leader. And if you can determine, all right, well, what do I want to be said at the very end? And let me just start there and then let me hang that up on the wall and let me try to figure out if I can start incrementally day after day, 1% better, get a little bit closer toward that bullseye. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. Boy, I love that. Uh, Clay Scroggins, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Really grateful. Thanks for having me, Gib. That's it for our show today. Please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. Thank you guys so much. Uh, also, if you guys want to follow up with us, check us out. Facebook.com slash John Tesh. We spend so much time there. We go live all the time. We do tri-weekly workouts. That's right, uh, three times a week. By the way, in case you didn't know, tri-weekly, bi-weekly can mean either uh, twice a week. Or, you know, like bi-weekly can mean twice a week or every two weeks. Tri-weekly can mean uh, three times a week or every three weeks. English is a funny language. Anyway, uh, three times a week we're doing workouts there, plus all kinds of other live stuff. Uh, and also you can follow up with John on Instagram uh, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I'm Gib Gerard. You can follow me on uh, Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, please reach out. Let me know what you guys think of the show. I try to respond to every DM, every mention of the show because ultimately I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.